0: Hello and welcome to another comedian's interview for my blog and podcast, A Rich Comic Life. My name is Richard Gill and my blog describes my experiences of watching over 800 comedians and counting over the last 46 years. I am honoured to be talking today to a very, very special guest, it's the comedy legend, Mr. Barry Cryer, OBE. Yay! Hello?
1: Hello? How are you? I never mention OBE, incidentally. All oh, right. <laughs> okay. The British Empire what British Empire (laughs) and people say well why didn't you hand it back and they say it suggests a rejection of the people who recommended me for it I wouldn't do that so it's in a box at home and Spike Milligan said it should be Order of Milton Keynes that still exists
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's genius (laughs) but it's that
1: shabby Uh, you know why didn't you hand it back because I was very touched when I first got it Right. And then I thought, what British Empire? <laughs> you know, that's all going on at the moment, isn't it, people? It saying is. no. Anyway, I'll just stop waffling. That's <laughs> no,
0: no, fine. I am. I am so delighted to be chatting to you today. Um, we're going. To, I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk about your illustrious comedy career, oh. going, and we're going to go way back to the start. Uh, Did you watch a lot of comedy growing up in the north of England?
1: When you say watch, do you mean television? On the television, yeah We didn't have a television set Wow My dad died when I was five Right To this day, I am jealous and envious when people say my father And I hardly remember the man Right So my brother, John was in the Merchant Navy away from home, yeah. came home, went down to London to be a civil servant, the Ministry of Agriculture and Fisheries. It was me and my mother. We listened to the wireless, the radio. We didn't have a television. No. When the coronation came, 1953, the Mooney family over the road were the only uh, people in our little, uh, it was a cul-de-sac where I lived in Leeds. They were the only ones with a television set. Wow. And they invited us all in to watch the coronation. It's another wow. world, isn't it? And you drew the curtains. You sat in a dark room when you watched television. And I, I always remember that. But I didn't watch television in those days. We hadn't got one. So. It was the wireless, the, the radio.
0: The radio comedy. There must have been some amazing comedians listening to there.
1: Well, there was Itmar, I T M A. It's that man again. Yeah. And that was originally about Hitler. Right. And then the great Ted Kavanagh, uh, the scriptwriter, who became a producer and agent and everything. He created Itmar, starring Tommy Handley, the comedian. Wow. And we all listened to that. And looking back, there were three giant figures in those days, Winston Churchill, J.B. Priestley, the writer who did postscripts on the radio, and Tommy Handley, the comedian. You couldn't make it up. And the, the whole nation was listening to Tommy Handley, this comedian, I think it was Sunday night or whatever. He was one of the massive, figures in those days it's amazing looking back
0: incredible absolutely amazing so um, can you describe for me please your first ever gig as a comedian because you grew up in Leeds and uh, you, be- you became a comedian there didn't you
1: well I've, I've been at Leeds University right briefly I'm BA English failed of Leeds University Aww. <laughs> Never because I was in the bar and chasing girls I own up to this and uh, my university career was very short and uh, but I was in the student show rag review for charity at the Empire Theatre in Leeds right and uh, I produced it and wrote it and everything and I on the stage telling some jokes and the following year The guy who was supposed to produce it and write it, oh boy, I've forgotten his name now. I do apologize if he's watching. And uh, they got me back, but I was no longer at the university. But I uh, did the show and I produced it and I told some jokes. And a man came up to Leeds to watch somebody, not me, and saw me on the stage telling jokes and offered me work. Wow. In the right place at the right time. You can't make this up. And Stanley and Michael Joseph, the two men who ran the City Varieties Theatre in Leeds, where they did the television show, The Good Old Days. Sure. They saw me. And my first ever professional job was in my hometown at the City Varieties Theatre in Leeds, bottom of the bill. And in those days, television was taking over So the variety theatres, the musicals, were losing their audience. And uh, they thought, uh, what are we going to do? Because people were staying at home watching television. They weren't going to the theatre. So they thought strippers. (laughs) They then lost their family audience. So my first ever job was in my hometown, bottom of the bill, with an older comic, and bless him, he was very good to me, and strippers <laughs> and then i'd go home every night for supper my dad had died and he wasn't there right. and it was me and my mum and she never asked me how has that gone she was horrified i was appearing at the city varieties with a load of strippers <laughs> so she never asked me how it had gone so i accepted that and uh, I'd given up by that time that she would ever... I heard later on, she said to my aunties, he was very good. But I thought, no, she's never coming, so forget it. (laughs) On the Saturday, we had a matinee. And the woman in the box office said, come here, come here. Was that your mother last night? And I said, was what my mother last night? (laughs) My mother was quite small. She said, there was a little woman with a rain hat on who came up to me and said, what time's Barry Cryer on? Wow. In about 10 minutes, love. (laughs) Can I buy a ticket? She said, no, you can't, you're going in. And there was a commissioner, a man with elaborate uniform and everything. He took my, I'm not making this up. He (laughs) took my mother in and showed her to a seat. Wow. And she didn't sit down. She stood at the back and watched me and then fled into the night. Wow, and I got God. home that night, Saturday, and I said to my mother, "You you came last night, didn't you?" She said, "Yes, yes." And I waited for the comment. She said, "The suit looked nice." <laughs> could not believe her boy had been in a. Sh- no decent woman went into that no. theatre in those days. Uh, strippers. <laughs> didn't <laughs> show with strippers it's amazing looking back but it's, it's that still, is
0: wonderful what a great story it still looked nice that
1: was my first critique from my mother
0: <laughs> um, uh, you, you you chose to focus mainly on comedy writing how, how did that come about I didn't focus on
1: anything I just went with the flow in my life right I had a half-baked idea of being a journalist. Right. Not a script or a show business or anything. Right. But I felt it for writing. And uh, when I was at university, I think it was, I got an interview with Sir Linton Andrews of the Yorkshire Post. Right. And I, oh, boy, and I went for an interview with him. And he said, we want people who are brand new or people have been out and about doing other stuff you're stuck somewhere in the middle so i walked away i'd failed uh, my first attempt at being a journalist What oh what i told you it all started happening because yeah. a man came up to leeds to see somebody else and saw me in the student show and one thing led to another and i started getting the odd job with strippers <laughs> <laughs> then went back to leeds and it's all over And then uh, I went to the Empire Theatre in Leeds, Johnny Gunn, the stage manager, remembered me as a student. And I went to see Johnny and he gave me a job as a stagehand. And in the morning, you would empty the bars of the empties, the stalls and the circle. You do that, then go home, have a nap and a rest and then come back and work work as a stagehand at night. Wow and so of course the people i saw working there that
0: must have been amazing
1: one of my idols who i'd heard on the radio max wall oh yes comedian it was wonderfully visual but he was a big radio star because he had a great voice yeah and all these people i saw billy Eggstein,
0: yeah
1: a big american star appeared and after the band call, the uh the rehearsal on the monday morning I found myself chatting to this American star. He was an American in Leeds. <laughs> and he said, come on, kid. And we went for a walk around Leeds and everybody's looking. It's Billy Eckstein, who wow. was that little old, with, <laughs> with <laughs> people, <laughs> people I met, you know. And John was marvelous to me. He was an early mentor for me. Yeah, yeah. And Max Wall, who looked wonderful, And he did Professor Wolofsky with his tights and (laughs) and (laughs) sputting about the stage. And uh, he would come over to the side during his act in front of the audience and say, How long, John? Meaning, Do you want me to get off now or carry on a bit? Right. I've been standing there with Johnny Gunn, and Johnny Gunn would say, Keep going, Max, or Leave it, Max. (laughs) Max was. Stop his act and works the end. Well, <laughs> Johnny Gunner said, Leave it, Max. These people I met in those days, I can't believe it looking back. I was so lucky.
0: Absolutely incredible. I mean, I mean you you your the the experience of being there must have just being there must have been extraordinary because you'd seen all these great acts.
1: Yes, I'd been in the atmosphere. And then David Nixon, who was a big star on television in those days. Yeah. And uh, he was going to do pantomime. Sure. And he was in uh, Cinderella. And Dear David was bald, so he wore a little hat and buttons. He said, I don't want to frighten the children. <laughs> but he drove up to Leeds to do the pantomime. And his wife, who was in the pantomime, drove up separately. And she crashed her car. Oh, dear. And died. Oh, dear me. And David drove past the crash and didn't recognize it. Wow. And he arrived in Leeds and they told him, and he collapsed. Oh. And he then said, I'm doing the pantomime for her. Wow. I think it was Jean Telfer uh actress and singer and everything she came up to replace david i was now with the lads in the stage crew they took them out of me because i had been at university and they oh he's the tough (laughs) (laughs) and leo lyon the manager i'm not making his name up called me in and he said you are now going to look after mr nixon and i was his assistant in the dressing room and put the two rabbits, Bill and Ben, in, concealed in the table, oh dear. And we became <laughs> friends. David Nixon, he was right. a mentor of mine, and he was marvelous to me. And we did a matinee in an evening, and he'd have a nap between the matinee and the evening. And I would stand guard on the door. The man's having his sleep. And Bernard Delphon, later Lord Delphon, yeah doing a tour of the country popping in to see all the pantomimes and i'm standing guard on the door david's having his nap and i knew who this man was coming down the corridor oh my it's bernard delphont is mr nixon in and i heard my voice saying i'm sorry he's having a nap and this man bernard delphont said good boy (laughs) <laughs> way i really re- respected him for that he thought this was doing his job that's brilliant and we met later on brother delphont and i picked the names up as i dropped them <laughs> it's perfect <laughs> I reminded him of that and we were just laughing and talking about it so people i met you know, I'm a people person. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, very much. If so. I have
1: a regret, it's travel. I haven't seen enough of this planet I live on. Right. But having said that, I've had the most fantastic life with people. It's been I can't extra believe, it? the people I met.
0: Extraordinary. Absolutely yeah. extraordinary. Um Let's move on to the, to the, people, to the um, comedy acts that you've written for. You've, you've famously written for many of the comic greats. Um, Morecambe and Wise are the reason why I personally love comedy. That's why this blog is here. Um, but unfortunately, I never did get to see them live. Um, tell me what it was like, please, working with them.
1: Well, I'd seen them live before i ever wrote for them wow and met them right and so that was a good entree yeah and john junkin and i wrote for them
0: yes that's right yeah
1: and uh they'd been on itv with sid green and dick hills and then the great bill cotton of the bbc signed them up for the bbc that's right yeah and uh, they came over obviously and uh, Bill saw who could write for them. He didn't think of me and John. Eddie Braben, brilliant writer, yeah. had fallen out with Ken Dodd over money. Strangely enough, Johnny <laughs> <laughs> was taking after writing money, and you know. Anyway, so uh, Eddie Braben was signed up, but John Junkin and I were writing for Eric and Ernie. And uh, oh, Eddie. I used to annoy John Junkie by referring to Eddie Braben as the A team. He's the man, I said. He's turning them into Eric and Ernie, not Morkman Wise. Yeah, and yeah. John Junkie got really pissed off with this. <laughs> and Eddie Braben heard about this that I've been saying this about him. And we finally met up in a bar somewhere. And Eddie grabbed hold of me and pointed at me and said to people, famous Morkman, rise right <laughs> <laughs> and Eddie and I were friends. And it was marvelous. John and I wrote uh oh uh, Christmas shows for Eric and Ernie. Wow. And, uh, wow. and then we went to uh Eric and Ernie went to ITV, Thames television, and Eddie was still tied up with the BBC. So John and I, immodestly, we we wrote shows for them at Thames until Eddie came over. Yeah, yeah. And uh I'm sorry, I think we did the received impression in the press was, oh, Eric and Ernie, ITV is not the same, is it? But there was still bad. No, juggle. we did some rather good stuff. We did Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde with Judy Dench. That, that was, was fair. Yeah,
0: that <laughs> was hilarious.
1: With Don Sinden and But Eddie and I became friends. So that was. That was good.
0: I've got I've got all the Markham and Wise books behind me, and I've got um, Eddie Braben's book. is phenomenal. It it, it must have been extraordinary um, uh, um, delivering scripts to Markham and Wise, and then having that meeting for you all to decide what was funny.
1: I'll tell you something about Eric and Ernie. I've got to know them. Right before, as I said, before I even wrote for yes, them. Yes, yeah. And uh, there was a little bit where uh, Eric was talking to the camera, two or three minutes, and then only came in. And I wrote that bit, and it was, you know, it was on a bit of paper. <laughs> and I went in to give it to Eric, and it was there. He was there with the choreographer and all the other people, and he looked at it, and in front of everybody, he said. You weren't listening. This is wrong. Right. Have a go. Oh. So I walked away sulking, and I went to the bar, and I was, Ugh. And uh, Eric walked in. He said, why the long face? I said, you've just taken it out of me in front of everybody. He said, that was there. This is here. What are you drinking? Wow. He separated work and friendship. I never forgot that.
0: That's amazing. You no, know, no,
1: that was just me yeah. about the script. What are you drinking? I never forgot that.
0: He appears to be, of all the comedians that I've read about and seen, he appears to be like that in real life as opposed to on, on stage. Could you... He had an amazing
1: life yeah. off stage. He was a bird watcher, of fisherman, a family man he he did the lot
0: yeah yeah
1: and dear Ernie and Doreen had their boat they were very different men yeah so whenever they got together at rehearsals they never stopped chat 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 what you been doing what you been doing they didn't live in each other's pockets when they weren't working it was fascinating
0: brilliant and yet one needed one needed the other
1: definitely oh yes yeah and uh, when Eric had his heart yeah. So my wife and I went to uh, British Heart Foundation, whatever, and Ernie wasn't there, but Eric was. Right. And of course, Eric had been asked to speak. And it isn't what he did. He didn't do after dinners and speaking. He wanted Ernie there with him and this, that and the other. And uh, he said, oh, God, I'm speaking tonight. And he stood up to speak, but he riffed off me. Wow! So he could have a go at me. Oh, look at his face. Oh, wow. what are you? What? Fascinating these people. Oh,
0: amazing! I would, I would, I would have so loved to have met them or even seen them live. Um,
1: <coughs>
0: the the first um, comedian I did see. Can live, I do a shocking moment? Oh yes, please carry on.
1: A cigarette. Well, no, no it's fine. Whatever you want it. to
0: do, it's fine. We, watching, are, we are, we um, are videoing this as you know but that's absolutely fine Um the first comedian I did see was Les Dawson who starred in my first ever comedy show that I saw on holiday in Scarborough in 1975 and I was aged 8 a year later I saw Tommy Cooper and was hooked um, describe what it was like writing scripts for these comic greats please Oh, how long have you got
1: Les was a wonderful wordsmith Yeah Uh, The words poured out of him He was brilliant And uh, David Renwick and I, I think Les used to do a, a sort of long monologue Pouring the words out And he said, oh boy, I'm knackered Could you have a go at these? So we tried to imitate his style And we did our best But it was never quite the same his passion was writing, Yeah, was his heart towards the end. Uh, Les was writing away he had books and everything, and he was at home writing, and that was the man. He was a wordsmith, he was absolutely brilliant.
0: There's the, there's the famous story about um, him elongating what it was like looking up at the sky and and, and and then he said, that, and by God, the toilet roof needs locking <laughs> Yes,
1: that's good. Right. There was always he a at twist the wonderful punish at the end. yeah <laughs> and He told me once that when he was struggling, trying to make his way up, he's playing the back room of pubs and everything. And he said, one night, he said, I was having a really, oh boy, not getting any laughs. And he said, I paused, and a voice in the audience said, There used to be a pool table in here. <laughs>
0: he was one of my you
1: know these people Eric and Ernie and Les by the time they made it on television they'd done their apprenticeship these people didn't appear from nowhere they'd worked hard they'd been there that's what I respected about them
0: yeah sure yeah of course yeah they they worked for years in the music halls before television came along Yes. Yeah.
1: And Eric. Eric and Ernie's first series, Running Wilder or whatever, the BBC was a flop.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, a critic wrote, TV, the box they buried Eric and Ernie in. Mm-hmm. And Eric That's took that cutting in his wallet the rest of his life.
0: That's amazing.
1: He the sense of proportion, portion. And then they came back and it all started happening, you know. And yeah. uh, it was fascinating. But I was... I was so lucky, but I'd met them before I ever wrote for them.
0: That's wonderful.
1: So when they got together, they didn't live in each other's pockets. They gossiped and gossiped away at rehearsals. What have you been doing? What have you been doing? It was fascinating. Oh, and Harold Wilson did a show. I remember that. And he was in the flat, and John Duncan and I wrote this one. And I always remember, he was so respectful, (laughs) former prime minister. And uh, we got this plot that he would be in the flat, but he kept telling jokes, Harold Wilson. And Ernie was loving it, and Eric was furious, fuming. <laughs> you know, this man's coming here telling jokes, and it really worked. It was great. But Harold Wilson said to us one day, very respectfully, he said, Well, I've thought of a line I could do here. I said, What? we thought, oh, this is embarrassing. You know, if we don't like it, we'll have to accept it. It's Harold Wilson, oh dear. Listen, I thought I'd say here, I thought of this while waiting for a laugh at the Brighton conference. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. yes. That was Harold Wilson, he wrote magical. that line. And Eric said that bloody good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is magical. You, magical. Like, magic. you know, it's amazing. Mad- absolutely magic. When, when I saw uh, Tommy Cooper on stage, um, I can remember at such an early age, the curtains opened up and the, he was lying on a bed and nothing else was on stage. It was just the bed with him lying on it. And one woman in the crowd started laughing and it trickled right round. So everybody was laughing for about five minutes and he hadn't done a thing and he popped his head up and he just looked at the audience and he said, what, somebody come on and everybody laughed even
1: more? Who else could do that and the audience laughed? Exactly. Somebody that... reminded me recently, uh, there was dramatic music and Tommy got a sheet and covered himself. da 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 And then, big climax, he whipped the sheet away and he'd stepped out of his shoes. <laughs> now, you think, is that funny? It was when he did it.
0: It was extraordinary.
1: And some nights the music would play and he wouldn't come on. Right. He was trapped in his dressing room. He wasn't. <laughs> he was behind the curtains with a microphone. Oh, I can't let the door open. I can't. <laughs> he was getting last before he even came on.
0: Uh, it's an extraordinary... And, it's another and level, and level, isn't it? I'm I
1: worked on. was a pedal bin already on the stage. Pedal bin. Told <laughs> you Tom. Tom uh, 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 and he suddenly saw this. And he was like a child. See yeah. what's that? What's that? <laughs> and he pressed the pedal and the lid on. Oh, oh. Uh, that's all it was. And then he woke up with his back to it. Pressed the pedal with his back to it. Oh, oh uh, <laughs> yes. and Eric Morgan told me the uh golden garter club i think in manchester it was going to be tommy and there was a few of them around in the area at the time the younger des o'connor and everything and eric rang the gang and said let's go and see tommy on friday night so about four tables of people turned up to see tommy that night and eric said oh great he said Tommy had started his act and it wasn't set up. It was genuine, apparently. A waiter walked in front of him with a tray of drinks and dropped the tray with a crash. Wow. And it, Eric said, four tables of us, lean forward. What's Tommy going to say now? And Tommy looked down and said, that's nice. And he got a big laugh. And Eric said, that was brilliant. He wasn't thinking of was some great funny line. No, it was just Tommy Cooper saying, "That's nice, now brilliant." That's wonderful. And Tommy couldn't learn lines; he was terrible memorising a script. So we got this repertory company: Henry McGee and Peter Reeves and uh, Clavissa Newcomb and people who worked with him. Yeah. When he wandered off during a script, they'd bring him back in again. You know, <laughs> where are we in the plot of this? he was a one-off he was oh, amazing
0: extraordinary absolutely I love incredible. this
1: story he said uh, I heard this after Tommy left us bless him he said I'm standing in a queue at a post office and a man in front of me is holding a banana up like that no like that like that <laughs> I said why are you holding that banana up and he looked and he said oh no I've eaten my gun ha 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 only Tommy classic you could stuff. A joke he was going to do on the page and think that's not that funny. <laughs> when he did it, you couldn't analyze this.
0: No, 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 no. And and I think that's
1: the These magic. You couldn't say somebody was a a sort of Tommy Cooper. There yeah. was only one.
0: Yeah. yeah. Only
1: one Les Dawson. Yeah. There were only two, Eric and Ernie's. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm um,
1: not knocking the current generation. No,
0: no,
1: no. Every generation has brilliant people. I'm just talking about people I work with.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah.
1: And also, as you go on, I had idols like Frank Muir and Dennis Norden, who oh, wrote the Radio Take It From Here, and uh, Ray Galton and Alan Simpson, who are only a few years older than me, Hancock and Steptoe. They treated me as a fellow writer. They didn't patronize me. I wasn't this hoik who written for David Frost or something. They treated you as a mate. I never forgot that. And I hope I've been the same with younger ones I've worked with. You know, very, every very generation's so, yeah. got brilliant people. They're different, obviously, you yeah, know. Yeah,
0: yeah. Very, very much so. And I, and I think that comes across in your work as well, because what you're brilliant obviously at doing is tail- um, tailoring your writing to the specific comedian
1: that's the word i used to say this were like tailors
0: yeah
1: making a suit
0: yeah
1: And john Junker and i uh, there's a sitter and a walker i've talked to other writers about yeah. this i always wrote in partnership after the nightclub days yeah and one of you is sitting there, scribbling or typing, and the other one's walking around. John Junkin would walk round the room, twiddling his glasses, being Eric Malkin. Wow. You've got to see them in your mind's eye. Yes, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Right yeah. the same thing differently for somebody else, but this is Eric and Ernie. Yeah,
0: yeah. You've
1: got to see them and hear them. And you said tailoring. Yeah. It is.
0: Yeah. You're
1: like tailors.
0: Yeah.
1: But I always worked in partnership. The great Eddie Braben, he said to me once, you know, he went mad. He was exhausted. Yeah, he be yeah. rattling his typewriter all night.
0: He had to keep better. You know, I, I the had, had to work
1: with somebody.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I was very fortunate to be in the audience for the recording of the two Ronnie Sketchbook in 2005. Um, you also wrote many of their successful shows. Tell me about writing for them. Were you, were you specific for writing for each of them or did you do sketches for both
1: of them? Well, on I knew Ronnie Corbett anyway. We yeah. worked in nightclubs. I met Ronnie when we were in Danny LaRue's uh, nightclub shows. Danny was a big star in those days. So I knew Ronnie anyway. Then I was in my hometown uh, in Leeds and Stanley Baxter, who I'd written for, Yeah doing um, a stage show he'd done the TV on the bright side and his stage show was on the brighter side and Ronnie Barker was in it I always remember this and I was talking to Stanley and he said to me watch out for this fat one he's going to make it (laughs) (laughs) and then Ronnie Barker was in the Navy Lark on the radio and everything and suddenly people were going who's this and then The chemistry between those two men, when they finally got together, you know, they were in the Frost Report originally with John Cleese. Yeah. And they were known as the Two Ronnies then to all of us, obviously. And then all sorts of things happened and then they got their own series, The Two Ronnies. And it was fascinating, but it was great. It was like Eric and Ernie. I'd known them before other time you wrote for them so you had a sort of rapport with them I hope you know
0: yes yeah
1: and the first thing they ever did uh, together on it was written by uh, Mike Palin and Terry Jones it was a police station sketch and uh, one I of was behind that well. and says oh morning super and the other one says hello wonderful <laughs> And Mike Pelley talked about this they didn't use the rest of the sketch they so just used two opening lines love wow. it's intangible this you can't define it what's gonna work
0: I was I was very fortunate to to meet uh, Ronnie Corbett uh, after sadly Ronnie Barker's death and he said to me that, that that he thought the major difference obviously was one was a comedy actor and the other one was a comedian. That's right. But but nobody could realise the chemistry until they came together.
1: Yeah, Ronnie Barker was the comic actor. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And Ronnie Corbett was the comedian. And if you watch now, you can watch the two Ronnies. And what's fascinating is some of the sketches seem a bit too long and it's a bit over elaborate. It's a different... The one thing that doesn't date, I think, is Ronnie Corbett in the chair.
0: Yeah very much so they they brought that back in the 90s didn't they on ben elton's show because it was such a that's right
1: that's right yeah and Spike mullins the writer used to write those right but Spike used to ring me up and say give me a joke <laughs> <laughs> so i'd give him a joke and then he'd write all the way around it for ronnie corbett waffling away before he told a joke <laughs> Fantastic! amazing
0: era, that. Oh, it was extraordinary. Um, There is a section in my blog called The Ones That Got Away which details other comedians that, alas, I did not get to see, most notably Bob Monkhouse, Dave Allen, Frankie Howard. Again, you wrote for all these. There must have been an extraordinary uh, variety of comedians around in those days.
1: Bob said to me once that to uh, younger people who's this smarmy game show host because he did more game shows than anybody else on television. And he'd been a writer, he was a cartoonist, he was an amazing man. But he said, I understand this generation just think, no, oh, it's the game show guy. Not He's not a comedian.
0: I think it's and, so unfair. So man.
1: when you saw Bob live, yeah, he was so blue you'd be quite (laughs) i enjoying myself now it's not what I do on telly you know (laughs) and his last appearance
0: oh uh, that was extraordinary that Uh,
1: was extraordinary the young ones came to see him and I don't think they'd known how this man was what a stand-up he was his timing and his command of it
0: Yeah.
1: and John Coleshaw my mate I was in the audience and he said, you know, watching this man in action, you can see that younger audience are going, oh, boy, we didn't know he was like this. Yeah. It was, intrigued. Oh, Bob Monkhouse must go and see that. <laughs> oh, was, boy, was, that man.
0: It was wonderful to see uh, Mikey Howard as well on that, make an yes. appearance. Yeah. Ah,
1: and what was interesting was, Bob brought Mike on, and it was all about Mike, wasn't it? Yeah, wasn't yeah, it was in, yeah, yeah, He was yeah. drawing Mike out. Yeah, and I'd go with Mike on uh, BBC and ITV.
0: Right.
1: Mike said to me once, bless him, I'm still in touch. Uh, he said, I was playing Harold Wilson on the radio, <laughs> and uh, Mike and I were talking once, and he said, "Do I heard you doing that?" I said. You should be doing that, for heaven's sake! I'm lucky <laughs> doing it. And he said, oh, "This is true." He said, "My voices aren't that good. If you close your eyes, oh. I'm good at faces and body language." I said, "You what?" That's he was convinced that he wasn't right for radio. Wow! What?
0: That's incredible.
1: Eric Sykes was... said to me once, "You do a lot of radio, don't you?" I said, "Yeah, look." I don't. I said, "Why not?" He said, "If you heard my voice, it's awful." Oh. These people are amazing Incredible. talking about themselves.
0: Well, he he was the first impressionist on TV and on read. Well, not so much on radio, like you say, but certainly on TV, he was massive.
1: Oh, these uh, that era, mm. BBC was ruling. Nice mm. to work for ITV. So we're in despair at the weekend. Yeah,
0: of course. So, yeah. You know,
1: eric and ernie and dave allen and oh you know it was all two ronnie's it was they were crucifying it bc ruled
0: oh yeah on a saturday night it was extraordinary um you also co-wrote the kenny everett television show with ray cameron who was michael mcintyre's dad
1: that's right
0: and it was obviously one of the most successful modern comics what is impressive about your career like you said before is your love for oh, modern comedy what do you think makes a great comedian
1: oh i don't know it's
0: just
1: so they're originals i think so. Yeah. funny bones you can't analyze it there's an indefinable element in great comedians and you you can't analyze it. You just think, yeah. no, you're funny. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's,
1: that's it. Funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's <laughs>
0: it. No, it's fine. It's fine.
1: Um, it's next factor. It's a yeah, yeah. thing you've got and you can't analyze it. You don't want to, no, really. No, no, that's that's it's the funny. magic.
0: I think. Yeah. Um, let's move on to the to the Edinburgh Festival. Um, I I am my home city is Carlisle, but I've lived in London for thirty years. Um, but I go up to Ed- I've been fortunate to go to Edinburgh, to the Edinburgh Fringe since 2005. And I always make a point of seeing your show when you're on at the Gilded Balloon with. No, oh, you're the one. Ronnie <laughs> Um Can you tell me what your. Can you describe what your first Edinburgh Fringe was like? What year did you go up? What did you think of it? I
1: think the first. I could be wrong. Colin Sell, my old mate, and I played the assembly rooms in uh, Edinburgh.
0: Yeah.
1: And we thought, oh boy, what's this going to be like? And uh, yes, it was it was interesting because I was with my mate. We were the double actors. Subsequently, I did it on my own, and then I did it with Willie Rushton, and uh, and then Ronnie Golden, yeah. my mate. I did it for year after year, but I'm so lucky these. Partners, these rocks I work with, Colin at the piano, Colin at the piano, and Willie Rushton yeah. and Ronnie Golden, I was, I've always liked that double act thing, really. I didn't like doing it on my own. You feel stranded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the mate there, you bounce off each other. What
0: is what is brilliant about Ronnie Golden was he is that he plays the guitar so you could get songs in and I always remember Peace and Quiet being a particular favourite that you'd both oh sing. yes
1: and it got louder and louder yeah. <laughs> and John Locke came to see us one night yeah and I introduced it very seriously <laughs> and we started singing and there wasn't any there were no jokes in the lyric it was completely straight and serious and. Sean century me afterwards. He said, I thought, oh, this is embarrassing. What are they on about? And he said, It told me about two or three courses to get the joke. Because <laughs> it was louder and louder. As you know, we were probably bellowing it at the end. Please, I'm quiet.
0: <laughs> Genius.
1: Oh, it's, it's so lucky the people I work with, you know, it's, they're so different. <laughs> Willie Ruston and I. Yes, dear Willie. On shows together. We I mean, were we were and we weren't a double act I would walk on and he would walk off and vice versa we were together at the beginning of the show and together at the end and it was it was a joy working with him yeah yeah he was and so where right. I'm sitting now in Hatch End the Elliot Hall we played the Elliot Hall Willie was now really loving it and he'd be on the stage doing his solo bit and I said you're turning into Doddy because it got longer and longer and uh I live three minutes away from the Elliot Hall where we're yeah. doing the show, and Willie said, "Oh, Basire, he said you could pop home for a drink at the interval." I <laughs> said, "Willie, I could pop home for a drink while you're on." <laughs> <laughs>
0: brilliant! That's brilliant. See people. Um, you say about um, working with uh, other people at the Edinburgh Fringe and and uh, um, writing. Um, uh, I specifically remember a solo show that you did at the, at the Gilded Balloon called The Elephant in the Room. And it was you rattling off stories, wonderful stories, doing like an A to Z of all the
1: comedians That's you right, wrote for I did it on my own to yeah, start yeah. Uh, A to Z. I got, I admit it, I'd seen Ned Sherrin do that. Right. A to Z. So the first time I did it, it was solo and uh, my friend Steve Ollathorn yeah. had done 26 slides to accompany every letter of the alphabet wow. and on the first night I got to letter D. <laughs> and it said, thank you very much, 22 slides, forget it, and I was getting to Z by the end of the week. <laughs> but at the time of that, I thought, no, so it was with Colin then. Yeah, and course. he would have the back of cards, A to Z, and we'd ask the audience to shout out a letter. They always shouted out Z and X, you know, to see what I'd do. Yeah. <laughs> and Bob would hand me the relevant card. So the show basically was different every time. The audience were involved. Right. Yes, of course. Involved, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, over the years, when I've seen you live, you have told some of my favourite jokes. I particularly, I particularly love the parrot joke. Um, how do you remember all your jokes and routines?
1: Well, you, they're all in your head, scrambled up somewhere, and I make connections. Somebody yes. says something, oh, that reminds me. So they're all in your brain somewhere, and you hope they tumble out at the appropriate moment. The parrot joke the definitive one
0: yeah
1: i've been doing parrot jokes ever since i've become identified (laughs) with them a woman saw a beautiful blue and gold parrot displayed in a window whatever and she went into the shop and said god he's gorgeous beautiful she said how much And the man said uh 20 quid she said 20 pounds he's beautiful and the man said well i've got to be honest he's got form he's got history he was in a brothel, and to put it delicately, his language is quite colorful. And she said, 20 pounds, I'll take a chance on that. And she took the parrot back to her flat and took the cover off. and The parrot looked around and said, New place, very nice. Oh, they, they sorry, the man had said he was in a brothel. You see, I'm forgetting the detail now. He was in a brothel. This is crucial. <laughs> So the parrot looked round first side of our flat and said, new place, very nice. And the two daughters walked in and the parrot said, new place, new girls, very nice indeed. And her husband walked in and the parrot said, hello, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> <It> <laughs> but I did then, I forgot joke. to say at the beginning.
0: <laughs> it is such a great line. Thank you so much for telling that. <laughs> um, you have appeared on... TV and radio many times, most notably in the sixties with Joker's Wild, which I yes. I can just remember watching. Can I
1: say something now? Yeah. Can I have a pee break? Uh.
0: <laughs> no. We will be done in about ten minutes. Can you hold on or not?
1: Okay, we we'll do ten minutes. Is that
0: all right. Yeah, I've literally got. See an
1: expression of. Anguish on my face.
0: <laughs> and we will be... Got a bucket? At <laughs> um, you've appeared on TV and radio many times, most notably in the 60s with Jokers Wild. And as a regular panellist on BBC Radio 4s, I'm sorry I haven't a clue since 1972, which I'm a big fan and I've seen live on stage. Please yeah. tell me how these came about.
1: Oh, Jokers Wild can't remember how that happened because that was with ray cameron and we subsequently went on to do the kenny everett's
0: yes yeah
1: i can't remember the origin of that i must have done somebody suggested get a load of comics on interrupting each other and (laughs) you know and that's it was shamefully set up beforehand we'd say yeah, oh, right. You do that one, and then you butt in with that one, and everything. And there was a marvelous man called Fred Emney, very large character, and Jack Douglas, the comedian, oh, being doubled Joe Baker. Yeah. Uh, set up who interrupts who, <laughs> and Jack Douglas started telling a joke, and suddenly there was a buzz, and we hadn't set up that. And I thought, oh, interruption by Fred Emney. I thought what? And Fred Emily said, is this about the seaside? And I said, yes. Yeah. She said, I live at Bognor Regis. Just so I'd mention it. <laughs> and the comics laughed and laughed and the audience were bewildered. What happened there? It was amazing the things that happened on that show. It was a joy. It was wonderful tell me about i'm
0: sorry i haven't a clue because you've been a panelist on that since it started
1: well this very day as i'm talking to you i was listening to i'm sorry i'll read that again which was devised by graham garden and bill Audie and and timbrook taylor sure and then uh, the bbc wanted a follow-up and graham thought what are we going to do we don't want a show that's heavily scripted now what what it was brilliant his formula he thought a show that doesn't have a script it has a format it does this 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 and then you've all got to prepare and cope with that and that was 1972 for heaven's sake and so many of the bbc said humphrey littleton chairman he'd only done jazz on the radio and <laughs> the others are you serious and of course it was a brilliant choice Oh, absolutely. The Firstly, was he couldn't do two of the recordings, and I, I would deputise for him. That was all. I was just the understudy. Right. And then uh, we set off, and I became a member of the team. Wow! Incredible. Just. And if- John Cleese and Joe Kendall and Bill Oddie were involved in the early days. No, oh, don't like this. No script. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> And what we
1: were going to do and Willie Roster was brought in and oh boy that was it absolutely fantastic can't believe it 1972 Uh,
0: that was it
1: it, relax the great Littleton and Jack D does a brilliant job oh yeah he said very modestly I can't fill those shoes I'll just try and do the job you know
0: exactly exactly Yeah, yeah absolutely amazing career um just just for a last question, what do you think has been the highlight of your illustrious career?
1: Meeting my wife.
0: Oh, that's fantastic.
1: Nothing to, do, nothing to do with work at all. I met dear Tez. She'd been in a pantomime and she was, Danny LaRue said, what are you doing after pantomime? She said, not much. And we were at a nightclub rehearsal and I thought, who's that standing next to the pianist? went on from there and the result is our family that's amazing that's the best thing ever happened to me you could the right place in the right time
0: that is just just a fantastic end to a wonderful chat Thank you so, so much for your time. Oh, it's been a pleasure. I
1: do go on, don't I?
0: No, no, no. I could could talk to you all night. I really could. It's been an absolute honour. Well, it's mutual.
1: Thank you very much. Same time tomorrow. (laughs)
0: All All the very best to you, and thanks again. All the very best. Thank you.
1: Thank you.